When this happened, you talked about it on The Fan. It is good! good. Yeah. Lawrence Tynes has kicked the Giants to the Super Bowl! After missing at the end of regulation, and Tynes runs into the tunnel to our right, and the New York Giants are going to Super Bowl 42. In overtime, they beat the Packers 23-20. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I was thinking about it. I should have went down there. Check out my boy Cash and make sure he's all right. He picked a good night for it. It's nice and warm. I would have laid down for a little bit. I couldn't have slept because I would have had to come here, but I could have taken a nap next to Cash. Now, is he, does he sleep the entire night? Like, is he, is, is he currently sleeping there right now? And that they have, like, sec- I'm sure security's watching him or something. Like, there ha- just think about how many Yankee fans are going to walk up to him and say, like, you know. Right. Deuces, yeah. I, I hopefully just say not, things. Not the same thing you would say. Hopefully Let's put it that way. Hopefully just say things. I, I, what would I say? I'd say hello. That's it. I mean, you would be not like I'm. Yes, I'd be nice. Nine out of ten, at least. Oh, would go and you up know what? And... Yankee fans are so full of crap. If they ran into Brian Cashman, they'd be nice too. Nobody, nobody actually says what they think they'd say to the guy's face. They, uh, they all check it out. They wouldn't be too, or they'd be like, you know, well, why are you sleeping? Why are you yeah. not? You know, we're sold Ex- off. Exactly. They something like that. Yeah. If, but they'd yell it from a hundred. Oh, well, you're sleeping just like you were when Harper was a free. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, but they'd yell it from a hundred feet away. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Obviously, Cashman has a lot to do as opposed to just sleeping out on Central Park, which he does every year for charity, by the way. That's the kind of man he is. That's the kind of man Brian Cashman is. He's willing to sleep in the cold for charity. Not just in the cold, like, you know, doing on the field at Yankee Stadium. Like, I'm honestly giving him credit. This is in Times Square. Yeah, he's just laying down on the street in Times Square. Good for him. God bless that man. That's what I say. He scales he he scales buildings for charity. He sleeps on the street for charity. The man's a the man's a saint. I don't know anybody could have a single problem with Brian Cashman. <laughs> you better get his ass up and go trade for Juan Soto because now it's starting. To, now it's I'm starting to get antsy about the whole thing. I got to be totally honest with you. Now I'm starting to get antsy. I was talking about Yamamoto. I'm talking about this. I'm talking about that. I see Jeff Passan, who I you know we had some fun with uh, with Craig. Back in the day, when it was early on in the Carden Robert show, we had we had an issue with Jeff Passan, uh, but I think we moved on from it. And I respect him; I think he's one of the better and more reliable newsbreakers uh, for MLB. Like I, I, I'll trust anything he says implicitly. And that's why I'm starting to get nervous because Jeff Passan is going out of his way to to, to incite Yankee fans, man. And he's going out of his way to make it seem like the Yankees are getting Juan Soto. This um, is a long-term revenge plan on Passon's part. Yeah, I know. <laughs> to get back at Craig and, yeah. you, you know, famous Yankee fans. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Yankee fans like myself. I haven't played that in so long, man. That that just made me sad. I had I had fun working on that show. I, you know, I like this show better, but I had fun working on that show. But anyway, yeah, I mean... Now they have to get him. You have to get Juan Soto. And so I, I teased a little bit before what's the number one A because I'm seeing a lot of different things. I follow Yankee Twitter. I'm on Yankee Twitter. Me and Keith do the Yankee podcast. I kind of feel like I'm a Yankee guy. I try and be in the Yankee. I know I'm the one guy who doesn't hate the team, so people call me a shill. You either got to despise the Yankees or you're a shill. It's, there's no in-between. 
There's no being fair down the middle. Yes, Brian Cashman should leave, but I don't think he's a dope. Yes, he's a Hall of Fame executive who just had a bad couple of years, but still, it's been long enough. Like, that's not reasonable. I need him, you know, you need him completely wiped off the face of the earth and told he's the worst idiot who has ever lived. And God forbid, you know, you you are pleased with any kind of anything he ever did. None of the championships are his. He never won a damn thing without Derek Jeter in the core four. Like, it's all just he's a big pile of crap. Other than that, you're a Yankee show. But still, I'm out there in the Yankee landscape. I try and take part. And I'm and there's a there's a conversation right now about what the number one Yankee offseason would be. And clearly Juan Soto is part of it. But the question is then, once you get Juan Soto, do you go and attack the rotation? Because now you're going to lose a rotation piece, I would think. I would think in the Juan Soto trade, they're going to want young prospects, sure. But I would think either Clark Schmidt or Michael King are going to be involved in this trade. I would think they want a now pitcher. They're losing almost 700 innings of pitching in free agency. And they don't really have money to replace it. That's why they're trading Juan Soto if they trade Juan Soto. So the Padres need pitching and major league ready pitching and guaranteed pitching. And and Michael King certainly showed he can do that at the end of the season. He looked incredible when they transitioned him back to being a starter full-time. And Clark Schmidt had a good year, good solid year. There was a stretch there besides Cole. He was the Yankees' most reliable pitcher. Like he had a good stretch of like 15, 16 starts in a row right in the middle of his season where you can count on Clark to give you a good quality start. It wasn't going to be excellent necessarily, but you were going to get you were going to get five, six innings, two, three runs. Like Clark was pretty good, so I would think he'd be a piece that could be used in this trade. So you are going to be missing some pieces. So do you go out and get another big? Do you go get Yamamoto, or do you just say F it? This offense has been the bane of my existence. I don't care, McMonagall. Stop telling me they led the league in run scored in 23. I don't care in 22. I don't care about that. I don't care about the 99 wins. We all know they don't hit in the postseason. And this year's offensive team was just putrid. Only the Oakland A's had the, the team that doesn't even exist anymore was the only team in Major League Baseball that had less hits than the New York Yankees. They strike out a ton. They're on base percentages awful. It's the worst offense in the history of the franchise. I want to fix this offense once and for all. Get me get me Soto, and then go get me Bellinger. And so which one is the more A-plus helps the team the most? And I honestly don't think it's even a question. I think this is an easy one. For me, it's without question Soto and Yamamoto. I got I want these two young studs at the top of the rotation and in the middle of the lineup moving forward for a decade. I want the young studs at the hitter and the pitcher. And the argument is, well, listen, you need this offense. You got sure, it may be in the postseason the pitching matters, but over the course of the regular season, look at the Baltimore Orioles and what they've been able to do and get into the postseason. And then look what happened in the postseason without the starter. But, like, yes, the offense is much more important over the course of 162. 100% agree. And you need more left-handed outfielders. You, you need more left-handed hitters. Totally agree. But for me, this offense, if they get a, you know, hopefully, you know, some of these young kids start to pan out. I don't know if they if they get Yamamoto, maybe I'm less inclined to trade Gleyber Torres because now I do need some hitters in the lineup unless they trade Glaber Torres for another left-handed hitter. If they don't get Bellinger, then I'm open to that. But, like, 
the offense, if Judge comes back and is healthy, and if Rizzo goes back to at least being close to what Rizzo normally is and not what he was with the concussion and the, and the, the head injury, if Judge is healthy and Stanton gives you anything and Glaber Torres is close to what he was last year, it's enough offense. It's not a dynamic offensive team. It's not one of the it's not one of the best offenses in the league. But that's a with Soto in the middle of that lineup with Judge healthy, Rizzo back, Stanton hopefully giving you at least something. DJ LeMahieu, who's trending better in the second half of the season, continues to give you something. Gleyber Torres gives you something. Like that offense is good enough to make the postseason. There's no doubt about it. That offense is good enough to make the postseason. So once I get into the postseason, I need starting pitching. I don't know what Rodon is. If I mean, I feel much more. I feel much more confident saying Rizzo can be Rizzo again than that. Uh, Rodon can be what we what Rodon was in in San Francisco and Chicago. I don't know what Rodon is. I need another top flight starting pitcher because I think that offense gets you in the playoffs. They won 82 games without Soto and without Judge practically for all that time. If Judge is healthy and you add Juan Soto, this offense scores enough runs and they figure out a way to become a playoff team. Do they win the division? I don't know. Depends on how good Baltimore truly is with this young group. But that's a playoff team. That's that's good enough. And then when you get in the playoffs, you need two starters. You need two solid starters. And right now, I feel good about King, but I might have to trade him away to trade him away to get Soto. For me, there's no doubt about it. I want Yamamoto and I want Soto. I want uh, Yamasoto. Right? That was like I saw a Yankee uh, talking. Yankees did that, and I saw it somewhere else too. Hashtag Yamasoto. That's what I want. I think that is much better. I'd rather do that than have Bellinger and Soto. Now, if Yamamoto gets scooped up by the Mets, who I agree with Sal, and I was talking about it yesterday. I was talking about it on my show yesterday. The Mets need to win this. If they're the, if Steve Cohen wants Yamamoto, he can't lose him, especially to the Yankees. Because they need pitching desperately. They need starting pitching desperately. They don't have it in their minor league system. Um... What's uh, Peterson is or is having surgery now, so he's not not that you were overly excited about him joining the rotation, but he was better when he came back in the second half of the year, and was probably locked in with what they have now to being at least a piece of that rotation. Like they need starting pitching desperately. He's a twenty five year old stud, and all it's going to cost is money. And if that's the kind of situation that st- that that um. That Steve Cohen, yeah, someone texted me right in the middle of me talking. Like, why would you text me? I'm sorry. If that's the kind of thing Steve Cohen doesn't win, like if Steve Cohen isn't the kind of person, the kind of owner who wins a bidding war against a franchise like the Yankees that clearly have more money than most but have now decided not to be the same old Yankees and not spend the same kind of money. And, you know, it's about making money. It's a business. It's about it's not the passion play that it was for George. And it's not going to go out there and spend all this money. And you, year after year, Yankee fans, you keep getting fooled. You think they're like this. They're not like this anymore. They don't spend money like this anymore. That's the reputation that Hal Steinbrenner has garnered over the last handful of years as opposed to the, the what Steve Cohen and his reputation is spending tons of money, willing to bring in Max Scherzer, willing to go get in his first move 
Lindor and giving him three hundred plus million dollars, willing to let Degrom go and then bring in Verlander, and willing to spend money on your guys. You know, giving uh, Nimmo a contract maybe a little bit more than what he's worth just to make sure you keep him. Like willing to do these things. This is what the highest payroll in baseball doesn't care about the luxury tax. Willing to go buy Carlos Correa before you found out his, which I'm surprised you should have known because the Giants gave up on him. But anyway, and a, you know, just a couple martinis in Hawaii. Sure, I'll buy up, I'll buy up Correa too. It doesn't matter. That's Steve Cohen, and they desperately need this player. And the word is they want him, and all it's going to take is money. It doesn't take trades, it doesn't take assets. All it takes is cash. And if he is going to lose that bidding to the New York Yankees specifically, but really anyone, because as you're hearing, I uh, I mentioned Jeff Passan a couple times today. I heard him in a report. There's no doubt who has the most money. There's no doubt. And there's no doubt who would get any player they want if they want them. So this is, I, I have to admit, this is a, a uh, this is why I was, I opened the show with it yesterday. I find this fascinating. Because for me, it's the perfect fit for the Yankees. It's the perfect fit for the Mets. You're hearing some rumors that he, A, you're hearing that he might prefer the West Coast the same way Otani did when he first came here. I don't know if that's true or not. But you're also um, hearing that he's intrigued by the pinstripes. But he's clearly willing to come to New York. Kodai Sanga has rolled out the red carpet, said we'd love to have you aboard, pal. And we all know who has the most money. And for the first time, especially now, with the Yankees coming off an 82-win season, the worst in 30 years, for the Yankees who have an issue with their fan base right now who despise the team. I mean, right now, it is as interesting a dynamic. The Yankees need something. And yes, if they trade for Juan Soto before the Yamamoto thing happens, now he should uh, be posted in the next couple days. I don't know how fast that market moves. I don't know how quickly Yamamoto signs. I would think relatively quickly. Um, but if they already trade for Soto, okay, maybe some of the some of the tension is eased with the Yankees. So if I'm a Met fan and I want Yamamoto, as much as you think you might just win him anyway and not care, if you are concerned in the slightest, you would hope that the Yankees trade for Soto before this Yamamoto thing goes down because I do think that the the fan base will have eased a bit if a player like Juan Soto has been acquired. Like, if Juan Soto is plugged into left field in the middle of that lineup already, there's still pressure to do more. I think any Yankee fan wouldn't tell you, oh, that makes us a World Series team. It's not enough. I need more. Need more, more, more. And they might be disappointed, but at least they would have Soto. If they go down to the wire, and this thing's going to happen before any Soto trade is made, the Yankees will have egg on their face if the little brother, the crosstown rival, little brother Mets, allow big Steve Cohen to come in and swoop in and spend all his money and all of a sudden pinstripes don't matter and prestige don't matter and branding doesn't matter and none of this matters. All that matters is the high mighty dollar and one franchise is willing to lose money and still spend more and have the highest payroll in baseball and still spend more, have a $340 million payroll and still outbid you, while the Yankees are giving you that same line about you don't need $300 million payroll to win the World Series. You don't need a big-time payroll to win the World Series. That's what the Yankees are telling you. Meanwhile, the Mets are going out there and spending money on top of money on top of money. It would be a terrible look for the New York Yankees. And if the Yankees, who don't spend money, who say you don't need a $300 million payroll and all the vice versa, and go out there and outbid the Mets, it's going to be a terrible look for Steve Cohen because that's what Steve Cohen is. 
Steve Cohen, I know he hired a savvy baseball man in in uh, David Stearns, hopefully, but he hasn't been doing this forever. You know what? He he's making money in the stock market. He's running hedge funds. That's how he made his money. Not that that doesn't make him bright. Makes him very bright, but it doesn't make him baseball smart. He's here because he writes checks. And yet for a position they desperately need for the best available guy, for someone who fits this team like a glove, Hal Steinbrenner and all this chicken bucket money was willing to outbid him. I think it's fascinating. I think both teams can't lose it. Franklin and Kingston. What's up, Franklin? Hey, Chris. Nice to talk to you again. Um, nice to talk to you, sir. What's up? Uh, yeah, I was thinking about last week with a couple of the hosts about Blake Snell. He just won the Cy Young. Blake Snell him? did win the Cy Young. Um, yeah, wouldn't you want? Yeah, no, yeah. I'd rather have Yamamoto. Really? Yeah. It's a proven pitcher, two-time Cy Young winner. I don't know what the Padres are going to do with next year. but Yeah, I don't know what the Padres like- are going to do next year either. I don't think they're going to sign him. I think he's going to go somewhere else. But he doesn't throw a lot of innings, and that's what scares me. Uh, okay. He, he just—I don't know how durable he is. I—I uh, don't—I th- don't anticipate him getting better. I don't know. I understand it's the unknown of Yamamoto. But everybody yeah. says he's great. He's 25 years old. I feel much more comfortable. It depends on the contract. If so, if Snell would take a three-year deal, a two-year deal for big money, I'd be into that, I suppose. But I okay. just I and he, he's he is the epitome of a five. Going back to the World Series when Cash took him out uh, in the fifth inning, he is he is a short. He doesn't go beyond five six innings. He just doesn't. I don't uh, know. What, yeah, I mean that's that's my issue with Snell. It's just. He's great. Okay. Don't get me wrong. He's great, but I, I just, I don't, I don't know about his durability, and I don't know about him going deep into games. And yes, it's, but it's two years separated by average pitching, uh, or maybe slightly above average. I shouldn't say average, but not Cy Young quality. I mean, but yeah, listen, he's a great pitcher. I'm certainly not going to complain if the Yankees get him, but I, I, right. I would rather, I would rather Yamamoto. I think he's clearly the better option. I, I think I disagree with that, but okay, thank you for okay. taking my call. Well, what do you like about him? Just he won the Cy Young? Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I think we got a little bit lucky with uh, the, the Japanese pitcher this year, the Matt said. I don't know this guy. I mean, everybody's raving about him. Nobody's <clears throat> pitched him in the major leagues, you know. No, I, I mean, understand. Sure neither, did, good, neither, but, did Taka, uh, neither did Taka, uh, uh, Taka, uh, Tanaka, but I kept wanting to say Taka. Right, I understand. But neither did like, Tanaka like or a trusted pitching guy, you know. Yeah, but I just, I don't know. Blake Snell, like, you know, he's been okay. He won the Cy Young in, in 2018. In 2019, he had a 4.29. Uh, in 2021, he had a 4.2. Last year, he had a 3.8 in the National League. Um, again, DH, you know, sort of back, so it doesn't matter. But 128 innings, 128 innings. This year, he threw 180. He's never thrown 200. He may ask for a lot of money, too. He's never point, thrown 200 innings in his entire career. Um, you know he's a very good pitcher. I'm not trying to knock him. He's a great pitcher. He's going to make money. He's 30 years old, so he's not he's not as old as I thought. I thought he was more like 31, 32. He's going to be 31 next year. He's a great pitcher. Yeah, three years. You, you would pay three years or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, he's fi- that's the other thing. Uh, he's Yamamoto is five years younger. Five years younger. I'll give Yamamoto eight years. I'll give Snell three. But. I mean, and Snell, two hundred and thirty-four strikeouts and one hundred and eighty innings. Led the league in walk. Uh, led the league in walks with ninety-nine. Home runs per nine. He was oh yeah, home runs were up five point eight. 
home runs per nine. Is that right? Hits per nine. I'm sorry. I'm running. I'm like, no way that's right. He was the best in the league at, at hits per eight or hits per nine at 5.8. ERA plus 182. Walks 99. I mean, 99 strike 99 walks to 234 strikeouts is pretty damn good, especially in 180 innings. I mean, he had a terrific season. The second half of the year, he was dynamic. But again, never thrown has never thrown 200 innings. He is a six inning pitcher, and he's on the wrong side of 30. I'm not opposed to it. But I'm not giving him the same contract, and I'd rather have Yamamoto. Stuart in Brooklyn, what's up, Stu Pot? Morning, C-Mac. Good morning, my friend. What's up? Oh, I would rather have Yamamoto also because of the age factor. Yeah. I'm like you just pointed out. If he's not going to go 200 innings or be able to produce 200 innings, then that shows, you know, the bullpen is going to be a lot, used a lot more, of course, when he starts. And uh, he, uh, <clears throat> I would rather have the younger guy. And, uh, you know, look, Senga adjusted very well in his first year. Yeah, but Senga that, had a great year. He had a great year. And the thing is, you you want to get someone who's young. You want to get someone who can give you innings. And he's proven that he pitches in Japan. And the thing is, so I'll take him a, a little bit of time to adjust to MLB. And uh, we got to get that. And you got to get Juan Soto. Put him in the middle of that lineup, and you put hopefully Rizzo can come back to be yeah. a Rizzo. Right, so, and, uh, so let me ask you: Would you rather have if I if I gave you two the two best scenarios? Would you rather have Soto and Bellinger or Soto and Yamamoto? Soto Yamamoto. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's no question. Why? Why would you? I mean, another bat, and well, but but you need another pitcher, like you said. We don't know what Rodon is going to be. Yeah. We don't know if Nestor is going to come back to being Nestor. Yeah. We don't know if we're going to have Michael King. He might go in the solo deal. Yep. I, mean, I, I completely agree with you. I'd rather I, have the starting pitcher as well. Real quick, Brian and Monfail. What's up, Brian? Hey, so early. Uh, good evening. Good evening. Well, good morning, but okay. It throws me off, whatever. Yeah, I know. But, so, Still getting used to it. Going back to um, what you said about Josh Allen, you know, maybe the Bills kind of rebuilding. I don't. Well, that's I don't what Evan said. See. I was just riffing off of it, but yes. Oh, okay, okay, but yeah, because I, I don't, I don't see the Bills. Even if they Neither do, do, do a total rebuild, they're not getting rid of Josh. I Allen. would be very, very surprised if they were willing to get rid of Josh Allen. They, he would have to fall out of extreme favor. I can't imagine that. And plus, even if you draft a quarterback, let's be honest, you hope he's Josh Allen. I mean, you'd be now you'd get him younger again, and you wouldn't have to pay the money for him again. But still, you'd be lucky if he's as good as Josh Allen. I'd be very surprised, and the fan base. I mean, I understand it's a first round pick, but Bill's Mafia, I mean, do you think they'd be happy if you got rid of if you oh, got rid no, of their they guy? The guy? They love the guy. Yeah. And so I, I just think the Giants are absolutely better <clears throat> off taking a gamble with, you know, that first or second round pick, whatever, you know, whatever goes whatever hand they're dealt. And I know, you know, we can miss out on, you know, it's it, it's a crapshoot basically, but I think you have to take the risk because what are we going to do? We're going to draft another lineman that's going to bust. Like I, I, com- I, mean, I, I completely agree. I saw something. I know uh, he's become uh, a little bit of a um, a famous guy around here, but I saw a tweet from Carl Banks, and I couldn't disagree with it more. Um, he was talking to someone, asked him about the quarterback position and drafting a quarterback or something along those lines. I got to look at it, but he pretty much was like. And if you put him behind a poor offensive line, he'll fail. And then you'll put the next guy, it will fail and will fail. And I'm just like, 
it's so just it's so that's such an easy answer to just say you can't you can't draft a quarterback until you have an offensive line. That's such I totally disagree with that because one yeah, and it's one pick also... it's one pick you can you can fix your offensive. What do you think is every offensive line filled with top five picks? Like you know you you got to find a bunch of I mean was Sean O'Hara a, a top five pick? Was was Dave Deal a top five pick? Was I, I know I think Kareem McKenzie was a high pick, but Kareem McKenzie, Royce, uh, Rich Soybert, like that was the greatest offensive line I've ever experienced as a Giant fan. I mean, you need the the right guys, and you can fix it a myriad of ways: free agency, drafting later in the draft. Like the idea that you can't draft a quarterback and then put him behind a subpar offensive line, he's guaranteed to fail. Do you think the Texans have an unbelievable offensive line for C.J. Stroud? Like, do you think C.J. Stroud has nothing but unbelievable weapons? He's got guys like Tank Dell and all different guys scoring touchdowns. He, you make it happen when you get the right guy. You see it immediately. Yeah, I we, am we drafting a quarterback. The risk for the yeah, right of course, guy. of course, you take the risk. And even just sit him behind. You know, sit him next year. You know, let Daniel Jones play. You know, because we, we we have to keep him. We're paying him the right. money. It's not like we're just going to pay him to go away. So yeah, I have no. I, the, the only problem with that got. is yeah. The only problem with that, and I'm with you. I'm willing to play Daniel Jones and then have the quarterback play underneath him. But he's the only problem with that is I, is Daniel Jones ready for the start of the year? Like that, I just don't know. He's having knee surgery now. He hasn't had the surgery yet. I mean, is it a is it a eight eight month thing? Is it will he hundred percent be ready for opening day? Like if he's ready for camp and to start the year, I'm into it. But I mean. I'm a well. That's the only question I have. I, I guess most people tell you he should be ready, but I don't know. But if he's ready, yeah, I have no problem letting the quarterback sit one year. That's it. It's one year though. That's all. Then you got to figure out a way to get rid of. Um, then you just cut him and whatever the dead cap is. I think it's much less. Obviously, I think you save. I think the difference between cutting him this year and next year is like forty-five or fifty million dollars in dead cap. So I mean, like you got to do what you got to do. He's got to play next year. So I'm open to that one year, but I'm not trying. That's why I. Like, for me, it's the the running back is why. Like, if you don't draft Saquon Barkley unless you have a great offensive line and, and a great offense and a good defense. Like, I don't draft – the the running back is the cherry on top, man. He is not the ice cream in my Sunday. Like, I thought it was ridiculous. And everyone – do you remember um, the GM? And for all his talk about hog mollies and everything else, Dave Gettleman, when he was time to draft second overall. You don't draft the wrong quarterback. It sets you back years. I remember that comment. Well, how far have we been set back by drafting a running back? Like, let's be totally honest. Could it have been worse? We would have been on our second quarterback already. Like, what's the difference? Like, if they drafted Sam Donald and Sam Donald turned out to be the same failure he was with the Jets, okay, they're already on year three of their next quarterback. Like, you move on as opposed to what? Getting a, a a running back that didn't impact the team because you weren't good enough at the quarterback position and you weren't good enough everywhere else? Like, you take the chance, man. There is no doubt in my mind. I'm not drafting, you know, I don't care how good Marvin Harrison Jr. is. I don't care. I really don't. I don't care. I'm sure he's great. I'm sure he can't miss. I'm sure he's going to go somewhere and be terrific. I'm taking a chance on getting my quarterback. You have to. You have to. I'm not hoping Daniel Jones comes back and finally proves that he's hey that he's that top ten quarterback we always talked about. And imagine him with a with a with a wide receiver weapon like that. Ooh-y. No, 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 no. You take your quarterback, hundred percent, or you trade that pick for a proven quarterback like Evan suggested. I don't think it's likely, 
I don't think it's likely at all that Josh Allen would become available, but that's something I would be into or at least open to if I'm the Giants. But other than that, I am. if I get a top pick, if this season goes the way it looks like it's going and they win two or three games and they're picking first, second, or third, or whatever it is, and they feel they have a quarterback there, I am not leaving that draft without a quarterback. If it's trading that pick for another quarterback, fine. But that pick is for a quarterback, nothing else. When this happened, you talked about it on The Fan. Manning back, steps up, he's one down the middle of the field, into the end zone, and Nix makes the catch for the touchdown! He went up with the big hands and caught it on the Hail Mary! And the final play of the half! When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. All right, 339. Nick here with you, 877-337-6666. Let me just talk about Chris Thompson for a second here. As we're going to do picks in a minute, Marco's going to come in. Um, it is Football Friday. But obviously, this Chris Thompson story has been all over the place. She did an interview with Barstool, whichever show. I think Big Cat was on the interview, too. I forget what show. It doesn't matter. And she was doing the interview. She's obviously been a sideline reporter for many years with Fox. Uh, she works on the uh, new Thursday night Amazon broadcast. She does the pre and po- uh, halftime and post game show. And she did an interview where she admitted in the interview, she even says in the thing, she's like, I don't know if I should say this. I didn't get in trouble. The- I think I've said it before. I didn't get in trouble the first time I said it, so I might as well say it again. But she admitted to making up stories. On the as during her time as a on on the field sideline reporter, not making up crazy stories, but you know, you've heard those interviews that they briefly give. I spoke to Coach Belichick and he said blah 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 blah, like coming out of had the halftime commercial. And she's admitted to not being able to get it one way or another. the The coach didn't want to do it, ran in, she didn't get there in time, whatever. And so when they came to her, she would make up coach talk, and she would just say, "Yeah, I spoke to the coach, and you know they." They got to stop taking penalties and they need to stop the run. And if they could just run the football or whatever coach talk, you know, they got to win the turnover battle, all that stuff you hear over and over and over and over and over again. So she, on occasion, I guess, would be willing to just give some coach talk instead of saying, hey, yeah, no, I couldn't talk to the coach. So, or just kill the segment or don't do it or whatever. And she would give coach talk. And let me say this first off, the reaction to it, in my opinion, has been. Way over the top. Way over the top. She blatantly did this. Coaches must have been aware of it. Like, or if they weren't, it was so innocuous and a white lie that, I mean, to me, this is not plagiarism. This is not making up some sort of story that impacts people. This is not making up a story that affects families and and like it is the whitest of lie to go out there and give a little coach talk which is all we get anyway you get nothing all we do is complain that those sideline reports are useless they are absolutely 100% useless they in, they bring nothing to the program i don't even know why they do it if you actually get the coach and talk to him fine but to come back and say, oh, I spoke to him on, a, on the way to the locker room, and he said things need to change in the running game and blah, blah, blah. 
It means absolutely nothing. Neg- ab- zero. Zero. And I so I think the reaction of this that has been attacked as some sort of a major indictment on trust and what the media is and like he got it from every walk of life everybody has come out on twitter and just absolutely killed her i think the i think it's completely overblown it is the whitest of lies it is a she felt comfortable admitting this she felt she felt comfortable admitting this that's how benign it is in my opinion i i i would still like what I'm not going to trust her sideline reporting anymore. Not to belittle the the whole thing because it's important. If there's major injury news like Burrow tonight, then it's important. But the little segments of coach talk, I don't think are very important or useful. You need breaking injury, like breaking news injury, like this. Uh, Burrow went to the tent. Burrow can't throw the ball. Talk to this coach. He's out for the day. Like those are all important stories, no doubt. No doubt. And I've worked on the sideline of Giant games, and I've seen Pam Oliver, and I've seen different sideline reporters, and they work, and they run back and forth, and they you know, they do everything they can to get that information and, and be on top of it, and they, in certain areas, bring value to the broadcast without question. But the halftime coach interview I find particularly meaningless. Now, having said that, let me preface it, you should never do what she did. It's so useless you shouldn't lie. I I think I do think she broke some sort of code at the minest of levels. I think the reaction is way over the top. Like she's every, like she's the picture of what everything that's wrong with media today and she's getting it from all different walks of life, everybody attacking her. I don't think I don't condone what she did. I just don't don't lie to me. I don't want to be lied to, don't get me wrong. And she shouldn't lie, and I don't know why she admitted to lying. So I think she's wrong. I think it's wrong to make up a story. It's wrong to say I spoke to the coach when you didn't. Now, I would imagine, I know coaches don't pay attention to this stuff, but it's she's has she ever been called on it? Has any coach said, hey, I didn't talk to you. How dare you say I, I talked to you? Like, Because she's just saying coach speak. That doesn't mean anything. So, I mean... I don't think it's that big a deal. I don't think she needs to lose her job. I don't think I'll never trust her again. But she's wrong. She's 100% wrong. So if she does lose her job, I'm not going to go nuts about it because she did lie, which is the basic fundamental number number one rule of journalism. But she's got to be credible. And this she definitely takes a hit to her credibility. But I think the overall reaction to something so benign as this is a bit much. Now, I get it. I'm a big line draw. I'm a big slippery slope guy. I've always said that about me. I'm always a big slippery slope guy. And this could be a little bit of a slippery slope. But ultimately, I don't think it's that big a deal. When this happened, you talked about it on The Fan. I look forward, as, uh, as Bill Belichick said in, in his uh, address to the media, to a very, very long-term commitment on my part. And Bill and I will work in concert. And... Um, we look forward to trying to put a program in place that uh, that can be successful. I think everyone that knows me knows that I've uh, that's my home, that's where my family is, that's where my 
I bet it, thankfully, a couple weeks ago. I didn't do it on the show. The Chiefs and a short spread, anything. Patrick Mahomes under a field goal. I'm just blindly betting it. Yeah. So, Chiefs minus two and a half. He hits it at like 85%. Yeah. When he's anything three or under. They're, they're at home. If he's a dog or, or less than three-point favorite, he's like 90%. It's crazy. But it is Philadelphia. But I agree with you. That's a tough bet to go against. All right, Marco. Ah, see, Fleece is killing me because I'm taking the Chiefs, too, with the two and a half against the Eagles. I'm not going to belabor it. Look, again, okay. with Mahomes, I know this is a fun game. I also feel like I have to pick this game because it's such a good game and the yeah. rematch and all that. I feel like you have to do it. I do like the Chiefs laying the two and a half. I'm with Fleece again with the 49ers laying the 11 Jeez, and a half against the Bucks. I've been burned by the Bucks more than probably any other team, including yeah. the locals. In what the fourteen losses that I've had, yeah. I feel like six of them are the Bucks <laughs> taking them and going against them. Or four of the same picks last week. Yes. How, well, so we how all, did the record all, end up being well, what we they all were? Three, the only one we all three had was Seattle, and we all lost it. That was the one game that I lost. The, that was the one game. Yeah. See, and this is why I shouldn't be on me. And I'm I'm on the same thought process as you. I don't like to lay a lot of points, mm-hmm. but I have to take the 49ers, and I'm going to take the Cowboys laying the ten and a half against the Panthers. Yeah. The Cowboys, when they face anyone that's elite. They come up small. They face anyone that's either on their level or below. Mm-hmm. They wipe the floor with them. If you yep. look at the scores, I mean, they destroyed. The only game that was close that they won was the Charger game. Right. Everything else, they roll right through their opponents. The Panthers are, I mean, they're just not on this level. Mm-hmm. It's 10 and a half. It's a lot of points. Don't care. I think the Cowboys win, I mean, going away. Mm-hmm. I'm also with Fleegs with taking the Giants on the nine and a half. This is nuts, but I think this is a punt fest. I think this is not a game that's 10 points. I think the teams are just too evenly matched. The Giant defense, they were embarrassed. I expect a big performance out of them. I expect the offense to go three and out and punt. I just don't think Washington could score a lot of points. And the Giants will get a couple of field goals, and you'll wind up losing 13-6, to but you cover the 9.5. I just don't see Washington running away from the Giants. I don't expect that. And the Giants could actually even possibly, with a fluke play here or there, win this game. That's how much they've almost they've owned Washington and how bad the commanders are when they need to win in a big spot. I'm also going to take the Jets plus the yeah. 7. This is nuts, yes. and I've been against this all season. Yes. There's two things. One, I'm so disappointed in the Bills and the fact that they're frauds annoys me. Mm-hmm. So that's automatic. Plus, I feel like just a seven-point spread for the Jets. I don't expect them to win this game. The Bills will win ugly, but that's the point. Mm-hmm. The Jets play the Bills tough. They always are right there. Yep. Buffalo has not run away from anyone all season, and the Jet defense is going to play well. They'll lose, but they'll lose what they do, which is basically by four points. So Buffalo will get whatever points they get. The Jets won't find the end zone. They'll kick some field goals, and they'll be right in it and lose 16 to 12 again. Uh, and I'm going to wind up. 16 to 3 Bills. And then with a minute left, Zach Wilson goes right yeah, down the field right. for a meaningless touchdown. Right. And you wind up get, get back to a cover. So and then we talk about all week those right. throws he made to, yeah. to make it 16 to 10. We're, it's a glimmer. Oh, look, at look, look at this one. When the Bills were playing defense, yeah. he made two great throws. Did you see I mean, those throws? It was like a look away. Yeah. No, it's, again, it's garbage. I don't expect the Jets <laughs> to win this game, and the season's going to constantly spiral out of control. Yeah. But seven points is a lot with this defense, so I'm going to trust Gangry. All right. All right. I'm going to go with my first two picks. I'm going to go against the two top stories in the NFL. One being I'm going against the Raiders of Miami. Miami, when they – you mentioned the the Cowboys and how they play against good and bad teams. At at home against a bad team, they kicked the tar out of everyone. They are going – I don't care what the number was. It was 10 and a half 
Uh, I, I checked on Monday. It was like 10 and a half. It's up to 12 and a half. I even saw it at 13 at one point yesterday. I don't care what the number is. Miami's going to roll in this game against the lousy Raiders team and a rookie quarterback. I don't care they're a nice story. I don't care about the new head coach. I don't care. They're going to roll all over the Raiders. And then the other one. I'm going to go against Minnesota and Dobbs. I'm going to take Denver minus two and a half. I like what I've seen from the Broncos. I like what I've seen out of Russell Wilson. He's got 18 touchdowns and four picks. I mean, when no one's talking about it, everywhere you know, I know Russell cooks, and you know, we all hate we all hate him from last year. He's been much much better this year, and Peyton has got them playing, and the defense has been much much better. And as well as much as Dobbs is a nice story, he's still Dobbs, and he doesn't. He's still Joshua Dobbs. He doesn't really throw the football well, and at some point. I just I don't know if that continues forever for Minnesota. So give me Denver minus two and a half. I like the way they're playing. I was gonna go Kansas City too, but I'll change it up because we all can't have the same picks. I'll take Pitt. Of course plus. we can. Family nah, play. That's all right. Nah, that's all right. We already have. Uh, yeah, it's we an automatic have loss at that point. I then. Am. I'll, no, I'll take I'll take Pitt. I'll take Pitt plus one and a half at Cleveland. Obviously, they're playing the rookie quarterback coming off a great win to only have the demoralization of losing their quarterback. Plus Tomlin as a dog in a divisional game. I mean, this is this is. I'm just picking the spot here. I don't love Pittsburgh, but I do like the idea of T.J. Watt going after a rookie quarterback, and just the idea of the Browns having a natural deflating moment after a great win, followed by that injury news to Watson. Uh, and plus, just Pitt has figured out a way to win these games against the Ravens, whomever they figure out a way to stay in and win this game, and they'll make enough plays. And just the coach and the Pittsburgh. Uh, Steelers in a divisional game on the road getting points against a rookie quarterback, I'll take it. And then I'm doing it. I'm stupid. I hate it, but I'm taking both locals. I am. I, I'm taking them both. I think you're 100%. I, I've said it all week long. I am scared that this giant team plays well against Washington. I've been saying it all week. It's the one team in the dreck that has been the last six, seven years. I mean, they lose. It doesn't matter who they play. They lose. To everybody, they will beat Washington. And year in and year out, it's the one team you can expect them to play well against. I don't know what it is. I'm nervous that they're going to win this stupid game, but I'm definitely taking it in 9.5. I absolutely am. I'm, this defense has rolled over and given up. Sam Howell has the most passing yards in the NFL. All of it, I don't care. This is going to be a hard-fought game, and they're going to make me nervous at the end of it, I have no doubt. And, yeah, the Jets getting 7. I'm I, they play Buffalo tough, man, and Buffalo is just a mess of themselves right now. I don't trust anything about it. The defense is banged up and, and you know, giving up big-time big, big time plays at, at home. The offense is back to turning the ball over. This quarterback is back to turning the ball over. I just don't trust them. I think they're going to win the football game. I agree. But I just think the Jets play well. Sometimes it's just matchups. And right now, you, you, it's not like they're playing well and they're looking for revenge. Like I said that a couple weeks ago, thinking – when they were looking ahead, when you were saying you got to beat the Chargers, right? You got to beat the Raiders because they got Buffalo coming up. Buffalo's going to be pissed off. Buffalo's going to be looking for revenge from week one. They got they're so they don't know which way is up right now to be worried about revenge against the Jets. I just I don't like the feel of the Buffalo Bills right now. So give me the Jets plus seven. So I'll take both locals: Miami minus twelve and a half, Denver minus two and a half, and Pitt plus one and a half. 